Amen. How's everybody doing this morning? That was the best feedback I've had all morning. Oh boy, dad joke. Um, yeah, I was just thinking as everyone was sharing this morning, that passage that we all know, he who began a good work in us will surely bring it to completion. And uh, just, I titled this The Head to Heart. A downward journey in an upside down kingdom. And uh, there's somewhere in, in I think, uh, I think it's Thessalonians where it says that the disciples took the gospel and turned the world upside down. And I'm happy to say that the gospel has been turning the world upside down ever since. Um, thinking about the heart, hey, everything happens in the heart, everything. When God moves a man or a woman, it happens in the heart. When man turns from God, it happens in the heart. This is a a very, very simple message. It's almost humiliating in a sense how simple it is, but I think, you know, I'm a product of God's grace and mercy, as are you. I've had some serious mess-ups in my life. (laughs) Really hurt some people. (laughs) Things have happened. But I stand here because I'm a product of His grace. Not your grace. Not my grace. (laughs) But His grace. And I have a sense that God wants to encounter His people with the fire of His love. Because the fire of his love is what changes us in our hearts at a deep level. We all know what it's like to go around a mountain, to battle, to endure, to push, to try and, you know, adjust our actions and adjust, you know, this type of stuff from the outside. And and we all know, I would trust as followers of Jesus, what it's like when he wills and works in us according to his good pleasure. When all of a sudden his desires and his thoughts become our desires and our thoughts. Kind of Andy hit on it last week, Ezekiel 36, he talks about feedback there. I'll move back a bit, could be it. Talks about, um, you know, I'll give you, I'll take your heart of stone, I'll give you a heart of flesh, I'll put my spirit within you. And then it says, I will cause you to, I will move you to follow my decrees and my commands. And it's a tiring life trying to follow Jesus in our own strength. Church leadership is a tiring life in your own strength. There's so many things about the kingdom that are exhausting in our own strength. And yet we have this promise of Jesus that says, I will give you a heart of flesh that will cause you to move according to my desires. Not your desires, but my desires. And if I can leave you with one simple thing this morning, looking at my own life, looking at my wife's life, looking at people that I know in this room, is that God can change desire. I don't know if you're stuck. I don't know anything about a lot of you, but 
if there's some hope for you is that God can change desire. I had a conversation with someone recently who is not a follower of Jesus, a friend, and he said, basically, you know, what does God think about my lifestyle? And I think as Christians, it's easy for us to have a lot of theology and think, I have a theology for why this is right or this is wrong. But the second you sit across from a friend, you realize the heart of God. That it's redemptive. And that it doesn't do away with right or wrong. But it sees the person behind the right or wrong. And I feel like in that moment of this conversation, I said something that... You know when you have a God moment and you say something that you don't understand, but then God uses what you said to teach you. And I, in this moment, I said to him, I said, honestly... What I would say to you is this, is that there is no identity that's not worth laying down to meet Jesus. And I said to him, the second you are willing to put every single thing on the table, don't worry about your desire because he can change anything. culture that is treated the heart like God. The heart wants what the heart wants. Love is love. All these things. And yet, the Bible tells us that we have a king of our hearts. morning I want to draw a contrast that I've heard shared between the loudest desire and the deepest desire. Our culture is all about the loudest desire, isn't it? Think about Jesus in the garden. He's about to face his death. He's praying. His disciples are sleeping. He's in the throes of death. He knows what's coming. He knows he's about to experience separation from his father, from Father God. And he's in turmoil and he's praying. And what's happening in this moment is he is voicing his loudest desire. How many people have been there? Good things, bad things, dream home, dream job, dream person. <laughs> We've all been there. But Jesus is pouring his, how, his heart out in loud, in his loudest desire. But ultimately what he does is he says, okay, nevertheless, not my will but yours. What's happening? Jesus has just vocalized his loudest desire, and now he has just surrendered it to his deepest desire. I really feel like we as a community are on the precipice of something that God wants to do in our midst. But I also think 
we are a very comfortable community. And we're big enough that people may just continue to trickle in. And we, as people of God, can, can in a sense, just hide in the seat. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's comfortable. And it's easy. But I feel like God would challenge us to say, how many times will we go around a mountain? I, I say it to myself. It's reading... Um, Isaiah 54, if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. Classic, classic passage. It says this. It says, Sing, O barren woman, you who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. When I read this, I think, okay, more are the children of the desolate woman. More are the children of the woman who couldn't have children. When I read this, what I think about is the fact that what it's saying in a sense is, sing, O woman, who are not familiar with having children through your own strength. Burst into song because the children that you have in the spirit far outnumber than what you have in the flesh. And it says this, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. And the sense I have for us is that God is wanting to increase us as a community, not just for the sake of increasing us in influence and profile and all these things. That's not the point. Because Jesus is all about the one. But God is raising up a bride. He's raising up a church. And the second we get comfortable, he'll want to change something. But I just think, enlarge the place of your tent. Enlarge, we have to enlarge our expectation. Stretch your tent curtains wide. That's preparation. Don't hold back. Step of faith. Lengthen your cords. Extend our limitations. Strengthen your stakes. Foundation. It's like you look at a tree, right? And they often say when you look at a tree, you look at the widest branches. And what you see up here is actually happening under there. So much of what God wants to do in our community, I believe for this season, is under there. Anyone built a house, it takes forever to see something above the ground. But when it comes above the ground, it's amazing how quickly it builds. And the world 
loves building shacks on beaches. Right? The Bible tells us in Corinthians that the kingdom of God is built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets on whom Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. And Jesus shares the analogy of a house built on a rock and a house built on the sand. And I think ultimately when we think about those two analogies, it's not so much the outworkings on the outside. Because once the foundation is complete, you really don't see much of it when the building's done. What you can tell, really, is the shape of the building based on the shape of the foundation. And if we don't allow ourselves to be shaped by him, what God has called us to or what, our, what God has called us to individually, our giftings will take us where our character will never sustain us. And we have seen that time and time again. Unfortunately, I'm a product of that. But the good news is that God who is rich in mercy doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. He doesn't hold us against, he doesn't hold it against us. He doesn't keep a scorecard. He simply looks at us through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we know that. I want to read an interview. I've read this once before. I'm going to read it again. Speaking about Christianity, what you and I are a part of, the global thing that Jesus Christ is doing. But it was in an interview, it was with a guy named Andrew Walls, who is a distinguished historian of world Christianity. And, and this is what he says. He goes, he notes that wherever the, wor- the other great religions began in the world, that is still their center today. Islam started in Arabia at Mecca, and the Middle East is still the center of Islam today. Buddhism started in the Far East, and that's still the center of Buddhism And so too with Hinduism. It began in India, and it is still predominantly an Indian religion. Christianity is the exception. Christianity's center is always moving. It's always on a pilgrimage. The original center of Christianity was Jerusalem, but then the Hellenistic Gentiles, who were considered the unwashed barbarians, embraced Christianity with such force that soon the center of Christianity moved to the Hellenistic Mediterranean world to Alexandria, North Africa, and Rome. And it stayed there for a number of centuries. But then another set of unwashed barbarians, the Northern Europeans, the Franks and the Anglo-Saxons, and the Celts, so took hold of Christian faith that soon the center of Christianity migrated again to Northern Europe. There, and in North America, through colonization and immigration, the center has rested for a thousand years. But recently, it is shifting again. In the 20th century, Christianity receded in Europe and in North America. It just barely kept up with the population growth. Meanwhile, 
in Latin America, Asia, and Africa, it has been growing at up to 10 times the population growth rate. In the past decade, a major corner was turned with more than 50% of Christians in the world now living in the Southern Hemisphere. For example, at the turn of the century in the United States, there were roughly 2.5 million Episcopalians and other Anglicans. In Nigeria alone, there were 17 million Anglicans. In Uganda, there were 8 million. Thus, in just those two countries alone, there lived more than 10 times the number in the United States. In the year 1900, Africa was only 1% Christian. Now Christians make up nearly half the African population. In the next 50 to 70 years, the center of Christianity is predicted to complete the shift away from European countries and from the United States. It will migrate as it always migrates. In this interview, he was asked, why does this happen? And he says this, if the centers of other religions remain constant, why does the center of Christianity constantly change? And this is what he said. One must conclude, I think, that there is a certain vulnerability, a fragility at the heart of Christianity. You might say that this is the vulnerability of the cross. Walls went on to hint that when Christianity is in a place of power and wealth for a long period, the radical message of sin and grace and the cross can become muted or even lost. Then Christianity starts to transmute into a nice, safe religion, one that's for respectable people who try to be good. And eventually, it becomes virtually dormant in those places, and the center moves somewhere else. We live in a beautiful place, eh? But I think, if we're really honest, the tendency for us, where we live, what we're surrounded by, is to be attracted to the safe religion that God never designed us to, to, to operate in. And I think that the, the inheritance that God has for us as a community is going to require us laying aside the safe and secure and stepping into the vulnerable and the unsure. And I think speaking about the heart is because the, the heart is where the battle is. It's always where the battle is. Who here has ever tried to change your heart? I'm the only one. It's crazy, isn't it? You try and change your heart. You desperately try and change your heart. Change your change, change. But it is that whole thing of cutting a weed in the grass. It just keeps coming back. But I've thought too, it's like you look up, oh, the heart. Look up the heart on Google. You get the craziest things and, you know, left ventricle, right ventricle, pumps this many times in a day, it's this, it's the organ, you know, you find the amazing things. The Bible, you know, when it talks about the heart, it's not just the physical heart. The, 
The Bible teaches us that we have a spirit, we live, we have, sorry, we are a spirit, we have a soul, we live in a body. I'm sure you've heard that before. But the heart is actually connected to all three of those parts. So I think when we read scripture, we, th- we read things like with the whole heart or someone did something with their whole heart. It really puts it into perspective because I think for us in North America, we can often stand, like for example, when we're worshiping God and we can stand like this and we could tell ourselves that we're worshiping God. But when God says to worship him, in spirit and truth, we have to remember that God sees our hearts in entirety. And in order for us to worship him in spirit and truth, there is a participation that takes place between spirit, soul, and body. Does that make sense? I mean, read this. Because this is, our heart is made up of like, you know, the mind, will, emotions, conscience. But Matthew 9, verse 4 says this, And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? Thinking is an activity of the mind, right? Why are you thinking evil things in your hearts? I think that shows us that the mind is part of the heart. Has anyone here ever thought something evil in your heart? You know what it's like. It's evil. <laughs> or Acts eleven twenty three. Who, when he arrived and saw the grace of God, rejoiced and encouraged them all to remain with the Lord with purpose of heart, purpose, will. You know, if you purpose something, you purpose something. It's like you are putting in an asserted effort. You're willing it. John 16 22, therefore you also now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one takes your joy away from you. Rejoicing is related to emotions. Who here has ever seen someone rejoice in the Lord like this? Doesn't really add up, right? We were talking about stadiums being filled with with fans, athletes playing and cheering. I mean, imagine if you were at, I mean, isn't that half the thing is why you want your home game is because you know that people are not going to stand in the audience like this? Hebrews 10, 22. Let us come forward to the Holy of Holies with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The heart, the vulnerability, the honesty, the conscience, the mind, will, the emotions. This is everything that I believe God is wanting to work in and through us in this next season. Think about, um, we always have an opportunity in our lives, right? We have, a, we have a choice. We can participate in what God is doing, or we can just be like a pawn in the game. But I was thinking this morning as I was standing there, I was thinking, I was having this sense. It was like, God, I 
absolutely love being yours. Thinking, I, I just love that he would use me. Has anyone ever thought that? You thought, like, the things that come so natural to you, the things that God has put inside of you, it's like there's nothing quite like when God uses those things for him. It's like that's the currency of the kingdom, isn't it? It doesn't matter what currency we're speaking of, money or time or resources or, or energy or giftings. It doesn't matter. The kingdom is this crazy upside-down thing. You all have jobs. Most of you have jobs. I have a job, and I go to work, and I earn money, and someone renders an amount of money for a service that I've performed. But then in the kingdom, we are encouraged to give freely because we have received freely. And somehow, when we give of ourselves in these different areas, we never end up with less. Matthew 6, Jesus saying, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We know. So basic. The message is this. It's obvious, isn't it? Isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. And the passion says this, for your heart will always pursue what you esteem as your treasure. And I think I feel challenged for us. Is the treasure that we are pursuing eternal? Or is it a quick fix? C.S. Lewis says this, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the, other, by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. <laughs> and ever since Adam and Eve in the garden, we are being faced with this constant battle to choose the loudest desire over the deepest desire. Often the loudest desire is now. There's an urgency about it. There's sort of an instability. There's a shaking of the hand, uh, you know? But I feel encouraged that the Holy Spirit wants to um, teach us what it means to yield to him, to surrender to him, and to experience what it is when he changes our desires. Proverbs 21 says this in verse 2, All a man's ways seem right in his own eyes, but God weighs the heart. It's amazing. Our hearts really do affect what we see and how we see. 
you know, God asked Ezekiel and Jeremiah, he says, you know, what do you see? You know, he gives them this vision. Brian said that in prayer. He gives a vision. Um, and then he, you know, it's like a child. It's like you lay something out for them and then you say, what do you see? You know, it's not that you don't know what you're seeing. It's that you want them to walk with you in partnership to see what it is that you've laid out before them. But what happened in those scenarios when God asked these people, what do you see? It led to a commission. I think so often in the church, we don't have good hearts, unfortunately. And so what we see is brokenness and malfunction and dysfunction. And what we don't realize is that God has given you eyes to see but he's also given you a heart to understand. And often, the ceiling on our lives is what we see with a bad heart. When actually, God has called us to see graveyards so that we can go and bring life. And yet in North America, we're so quick as Christians to go and find the church that has the most life so we can get fed and we can get this and we can drop our kids off and we can do this and we can do that and we treat it just like going into a Walmart but the kingdom of God is upside down our hearts don't grow because we keep getting more our hearts grow when we give away more Think about the woman at the well. We all know that story. She's there alone, probably a loner, had some mess-ups in life. Jesus is there alone. His disciples have gone to get food from a local village. And she rocks up to the well, and she knows that she knows everything she's done wrong. She knows everything her identity she doesn't have a superiority complex she has an inferiority complex and she's jaded and she's bantering with Jesus about this that the other and Jesus says everything that she probably didn't want him to say you can meet jaded people in life and you never really know why they're hurt sometimes you do But imagine if someone, if you're a jaded person, imagine if someone read the laundry list to you. (laughs) That's probably her biggest fear. But the crazy thing about it must have been, it must have been the tone of Jesus. It must have been something because she didn't just leave there and think, man, I met Jesus. No, she left there and she brought an entire village back. Like, do you know what I'm saying? And she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Okay, there it is right there. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. In other words, the things that were looming over my life. I'm sure she did some good things. I'm sure she had some, I'm sure she spent a lot of her life trying to redeem the wrongdoings. Maybe pulling water for someone else. Maybe, you know, meeting another woman who had multiple husbands and 
helping her because like, you know, who am I to judge and all this kind of stuff. I'm sure she spent a lot of her life trying to do those things. But the truth comes out when she brings the village to Jesus says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. That's a woman with a serious identity issue that Jesus had to redeem. Man, that story gives me hope. thinking okay so we can all have broken hearts we can all have hurt hearts jaded hearts we can all have have these things but if we had a pure heart what would we see and I was thinking of course Jesus says it he says blessed are the poor pure in heart for they shall see God Isn't that, isn't that crazy? That's Job at the end of his life. My, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen. What's he saying? Job, he's gone through the craziest stuff. And yet he realizes that God is good. I think with Job, it's like, never really understood it but then I all of a sudden thought maybe I maybe I have a, a bit of an understanding it's like you read it and you think okay Job it's like anytime his kids were you know out drinking late or something and then he would make a sacrifice on their behalf and he would dot his eyes and cross his t's I think Job knew that God was real hoped that he was good but was really relying on a good performance to keep in good terms with him and I think ultimately when everything was taken, he realized, holy smokes. I hoped God was good, but now I know God is good. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to see God. message says you're blessed when you get your inside world your mind and heart put right then you can see God in the outside world that word blessed in the in the Greek is like like expand <laughs> Proverbs 27 as water reflects the face I'm closing as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart, or, or so others reflect your heart back to you. Anyone here? Anyone you've seen the same thing in people around you always? Oh, that person, always this, always that, always that. Or they say, if everything's blue, you probably have a blue lens on. Proverbs 17, in the same way that gold and silver are refined by fire, the Lord purifies your heart by the tests and the trials of life. God's inviting us into a whole heart pursuit of him. Everything, all in. It's like we just, we just buy into this lie sometimes, often just that we just 
we're going to hold on to a few things. <laughs> We've all been there. We're going to hold on to a few things. <laughs> but who here has ever been disappointed by God? Really? In the moment, there we go, two people, you've been disappointed by God. In the moment of, the, of those disappointments, what, what we often experience as disappointment is that we didn't get what we want, right? But the question is not a short-term question. It's not about the loudest desire. It's about the deepest desire. And as a follower of Jesus, he is willing and working in us a deep desire to know him and to make him known. And it's not easy. Sometimes it's not easy to say no to the loudest desire. Jesus in the garden, that was not easy. Bible says, who can know the thoughts of God? Who can know his ways? And then it says, but we have the mind of Christ. Amplifies says that we share the thoughts, the feelings, and the purposes of his heart. I was thinking about, um, sorry, this is such a shotgun glass, but I was thinking about uh, in uh, Corinthians, right? Paul is coming into, into this environment. He's writing where a whole bunch of like super apostles in a sense have come in and try to persuade the people back into religion, you know? Yeah, no, Jesus did all those things. It's wonderful, but this is all, there's also a reality to this religious side of things, doing this, doing that, you know, dotting your I's, crossing your T's. And then Paul, probably the, the superest of super apostles under Jesus, says, you know what? I'm not going to convince people out of this. He says, I'm not going to come to them. I'm not coming to you with wise and persuasive words. I'm coming to you with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And the Amplified says, stirring in my hearers' minds and hearts the most holy emotions and thus persuading them. The downward journey, I think, for us, going from head to heart, is the difference between stepping in. Anyone ever been in a, in a lake? And we read this picture in Ezekiel, I think, about, um, he says, like, I measured off some cubits, and I'm walking in, right? He's ankle deep, he's knee deep, he's waist deep, he's all in. And I, and I was thinking about that as, like, God is wanting to take us deeper in, in his presence and all these things. And then I was thinking, like, you know when you go into a lake and you're, like, walking and then eventually, like, you're sort of, like, doing the bob? Because it's like, you know, your toes are just touching and you're almost in. But then eventually, like, you reach and there's nothing there. But I felt like that's kind of what God is asking of us. Is, like, just to, like, push off with our tiptoes just a little further. You know what I mean? Because like I said, we can grow as a community, but like, think about, C.S. Lewis has this quote, he says, the path to hell is soft underfoot. No sudden turns, no milestones. In other words, we can get asleep as followers of Jesus. We can fall asleep and we can just be on a soft path with no milestones, no sudden turns, nothing that would wake us up. 
But the best thing that we can do is get in the habit of repentance. Repentance just being metanoia, that's the word, right? Change the way you think. Change the direction you're going in. But we have become a little bit professional and I I feel like God is wanting us to step into passionate, worshipful lives. And we will always be faced with this crossroads when we live in a comfortable, convenient culture. But God is saying deeper still. And I don't want us to be merely hearers of the word and so deceive ourselves. We have to do what it says. Can I just pray for us? Do you want to share your thing, babe? My wife had, a th- had something this morning and just shared it with me. And Why don't you share it? Um, I felt like God was putting this on my heart this morning, just burning still. Um, I felt like he was saying he wanted to bring some people into deliverance today, mentally, physically, or spiritually. Specifically, people who have identified these things and they've prayed, they've desired change, but change hasn't come. I encourage those people, if you feel your heart pounding, that you just come up and you you get prayer and the enemy would have you sit in your seat and not move, but yeah. Amazing. Okay. So if that's you, why don't you be bold and stand with me. If that's you. If, if that's a word from God that um, you have some cycles that you've tried to break, you have some things, whatever, I don't know what it is. The deepest, darkest sins are the sins of the heart. They're the hardest ones to identify. But when God brings them to light, it's not to embarrass us or to um, condemn us. It's to set us free and to empower us. If that's you, and you want prayer, I want to encourage you to come and stand this morning. We're going to pray with you. We have no power except that we can rely on the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Thank you. Amazing. This is not a show. This is, God wants to do something in people's lives. I'm actually a powerless person, but Jesus Christ set me free. And many people in this room, he set free. If you're standing and you are willing to, why don't you come and stand even on the sides here and we're gonna pray for you. If you're cold, this is the other thing, I think, if you're cold, I was thinking about when we live our lives giving into the loudest desires, what ends up happening is we satisfy a loud desire, but in the long run, it leads to a cold heart. And God wants to reposition us to respond to the deepest desire because that's where the soft heart is. That's where the 
um, humble, flexible, teachable comes in. That's where, that's where we actually begin to hear him with our hearts. Amen? So if that's you, I want to encourage you to stand up. God never turns away a humble heart. He never turns away a humble heart. Maybe BJ, do you want to come? We can do some worship. We can stand together. This is not to embarrass anyone, but this is to stand and pray because God wants to do something and God loves his people and he desires to meet his people. Amen? Um, great. We'll just pray. Pray.